We're going to have a conversation here about um, something that I think we've talked a lot about Canada and and where we fit in terms of geopolitics globally, right? And and there's been so much upheaval and so much change. Well, last week, the uh, Prime Minister of Japan paid his first official visit to Canada. And part of the discussion there included a push from the Japanese leader to urge Canada to step up as a reliable source of natural gas in a world, in the world, echoing kind of what Germany had said earlier uh, last year. So we know that energy uncertainty is suddenly right at the top of the list of global issues based on what's happening in Ukraine. Um, so he's saying, you know what, Canada has a role to play there. Are there other roles? It's a busy week for Fumio Kishida. He also formalized the defense agreement with the UK to build on one they already have with the U.S. So, you know, what else can we be looking at in terms of partnership between Japan and Canada? We're going to chat now with Philip Lipsy, who's a professor of political science and director of the Centre for the Study of Global Japan at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Philip, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate you being here today. Thank you for having me. It's really an interesting time and an interesting conversation because right now we're kind of looking at, at two countries that, you know, historically, at least in the recent history, haven't really made defense and outward looking in terms of geopolitics a top priority, but they seem to be shifting that a little bit, don't they? I think so. I think on both sides, um, this past year has been a a watershed. Uh, In Japan, you just saw the new national security strategy come out, and the big headline item there was that Japan will abandon uh, the longstanding norm of keeping defense spending at 1% of GDP, and they're planning to lift that to 2%. Um, And they're planning on acquiring a variety of new defense capabilities, including counter-strike capabilities. And on the Canadian side, you have the new Indo-Pacific strategy coming out um, that describes the Indo-Pacific as a generational challenge that'll require a generational response. And so I think on both sides, you have the impetus to do something more with this relationship, which, as you pointed out, has always been positive and, and yeah. cordial, but, uh, you know, could could be much more. So in terms of making it more, let's start in terms of shared goals, I guess, global security and a unified presence, you know, with China and all that. I mean, when we talk about shared goals, what do we have in common with, with um, Japan? Well, you know, I I think a lot of the points are obvious. These are two uh, advanced industrialized countries, longstanding democracies, allies of the United States, supporters of key international organizations that underpin the order. Um, And so there's just a lot of commonality. Um, You know, this particular visit was uh, part of the G7. Uh, Japan is hosting the Hiroshima G7 later this year. So uh, the prime minister paid a visit to each of the capitals of the G7 countries. And so, you know, there's a lot that the two countries can do uh, through the G7 on a multilateral basis as well. Um, but I think the, the big change, of course, is, is this concern about uh, the rise of China, yes. uh, the aggression by Russia and Ukraine, the sense that authoritarian regimes are posing a fundamental challenge against um, the rest of the world in a way that perhaps a few years ago, uh, you know, wasn't quite as a as of an imminent threat. Um, you know, and so that's really highlighted the need for cooperation, not just between Canada and Japan, but across 
um, you know, the entirety of the NATO alliance and Japan and South Korea um, as well. And, and like you say, I mean, it's not a completely foreign concept. We have ties already. We have we have partnerships. I mean, we, we share a lot of common values. So, I mean, that there is a foundation there, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, Philip. Absolutely. Um, you know, even uh, in the, on the security side, uh, which is relatively less developed, um, there's been some uh, recent cooperation on uh, UN Security Council sanctions enforcement against North Korea, where Canadian vessels have been cooperating with the Japanese self-defense forces. Um, that's relatively new, but certainly on the economic side, uh, you have CPTPP, and uh, very long-standing economic uh, cooperation on a whole variety of issues. So, you know, it's not that there hasn't been anything there. Um, but if you look at Japan's relations with other countries like Australia or the United Kingdom, there's really been an upgrading of those defense ties of uh, formal uh, cooperation agreements. And I think, um, you know, there, there is potential momentum for the Canada-Japan relationship to evolve in a similar way. In terms of where we fit, I think Canadians sometimes get an overinflated sense of importance on you know, global politics and those sure. sorts of things. Um, how, um, how interested are the Japanese? I mean, where do we rank in terms of, boy, we really need to get Canada on board. Are we someone that they're sort of really actively seeking out as a partner on some of these things? I would say so. Um, you know, it, it's an all-hands-on-board type of situation for Japan. You know, now certainly for Japan, the most important partner is the United States, sure. um, just because of its military um, assets, its economic size. Uh, the United States is the only alliance partner Japan has. So, you know, there's no question that that relationship uh, takes priority. Um, but one of Japan's priorities over the past um, decade or so, certainly, has been to expand beyond that reliance on the United States and to acquire stronger partnerships with like-minded countries. Um, Australia, certainly India, uh, ha has been part of that. And I think Canada is, is a very logical next step um, for all the reasons that we discussed. There's a lot of common interests and values there. And I think there's an appetite uh, for stepped-up cooperation on our end as well. So that's uh, making a big difference. You know, when we talk about, like I say, the the Japanese leader was here last week talking about natural gas. I mean, where do you see sort of areas we can get going on immediately to sort of strengthen these ties you're talking about? Yeah, certainly energy is an area where the Japanese government is uh, very interested in um, immediate cooperation. Um, you know, the uh, the Japanese economy is almost completely dependent on foreign uh, energy imports, um, particularly after the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Uh, they had to shut down quite a few of their nuclear reactors, and that was compensated uh, by increasing imports of natural gas, um, oil, and coal. And so, you know, as a short-term measure, certainly energy exports from Canada is something that's very high uh, on the Japanese priority list. And, you know, the energy sector, for the longer term, I think there's also potential for cooperation on things like uh, electric vehicles, uh, renewable energy, uh, clean hydrogen, right, generated from yep. renewable sources, for example. So, you know, I think there's a short-term component here, which is meeting the immediate energy security needs of Japan, but there's also a long-term opportunity there to develop 
those energy ties in a way that's consistent with the emissions reduction goals of both countries. Um, I, you know, it was announced by the Prime Minister that there will be a Team Canada trade mission to Japan coming up in October. We had the visit by uh, the Japanese leader last week. So, I mean, those are the first steps, right? We're starting to see some of those, you know, just getting a better understanding, starting some conversations. That's where it begins, right? Absolutely. I think the people-to-people ties are absolutely essential. Um, and that's something that in the U.S.-Japan relationship, there's just a constant flow of people back and forth, lots of conferences and dialogues. Yeah. And, you know, Canada has had some of those, but the flow has been uh, much less. And so ramping that up uh, at all levels from uh, undergraduate students all the way up to top policymakers, just creating those connections and bonds on a person-to-person level really is the first step. Yeah, interesting. Um, Philip, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate your time today. Absolutely. My pleasure. That is Philip Lipsy, who is a professor of political science and director of the Center for the Study of Global Japan at the University of Toronto's Monk School of Global Affairs and Public Policy. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone. Like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.